be touching into and amplifying brings the four certain core intentions um, or directed energies you might say I think as I've commented before language tends to slip and uh, slide and some some terms become almost uh, unheard of or, or in, in uh, or severely uh, either difficult to translate or not readily translatable from the understanding of the Buddha to contemporary society so you know, we find ourselves often feeling slightly jarred by qualities such as relinquishment, abandonment, dispassion it's hardly street language and it seems a bit maybe because a lot of the language is kind of nearest they can get to is using language of the, of the Christian culture or social Christian culture where it contains all those resonances which are a certain sense of the forbidden or the uh, ascetic or the something that you know tries to uh, shake off or anyway disapproval qualities in fact they're generally seen as as beautiful flowers in, in the Buddhist understanding because they give rise to greater potential uh, you know, freedom, third like freedom again uh, in Vimuti, liberation, freedom in Buddhist language means something distinctly different than how a contemporary person would frame that yeah. and perhaps to get to the point, one of the big terms that people find themselves uh, confused with is love you know, uh, loving kindness or love and first glance a lot of the Buddhist stuff doesn't seem particularly loving or kind <laughs> yeah, it can become quite quite stark uh, from the way we normally would frame love. Uh, our language frames love, which itself has various shifts, doesn't it? Romance, uh, um, affection, love, fish and chips, um, kinds of things that are there. Yeah. But essentially, it's this. It refers to the root root potential of jitta to infuse, to suffuse, to spread a sense of safety, a sense of empathy, a sense of um, preciousness, or yeah, I say preciousness, value. This is meaningful. It's not to be dismissed. It's not to be tarnished. Uh, respectful suffusive, effective and it inclines towards spreading further it does not wish to limit itself and acquire it wishes in fact to spread further this is is intentionality and we have words like metta uh, which can be translated as kindness or love or loving kindness or goodwill or benevolence and so on and most of all yeah I know what that is um, so, so okay, I express it towards this person, that person, this person, that person, and so on. Uh, 
And then, of course, when it starts to stumble is when it says to myself. Um, gets more difficult. Because we normally associate, we would associate with some particular characteristic that we can say approve of or be um, gladdened by or moved by and when it turns around to the self view it finds this sense of oh it, here's the deficit because <laughs> that's, that's what the self view tends to present here's the deficits and the attempts to to get over that deficit <laughs> so it swings around this way suddenly you recognize there's a recognition of yeah that's just me attempting to get over a deficit <laughs> by doing this or doing that and it becomes quite uh, you know once one, one holds that clearly we start to see or maybe I was just doing that to win approval or or I'm just praising myself or um, you know I am the deficit you know. and so it's, it's kind of difficult this one and it's also difficult when we we definitely can sense that to my mother, to my father, to other beings, you know, to people near and far. We, and that mind does spread out. And then you meet somebody and you find yourself wrinkling with distaste. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love all human beings, just people drive me nuts. Because <laughs> on the ideal level, I, yeah, I, yeah, I really salute that as an idea, but then in the embodied reality, one comes up against certain resistant uncertainties, resistances, uh, waverings, because contact between beings is extremely uh, a lot of it's guesswork. So in the real real beings. I don't quite know where to aim it because there's there's so many activities happening. I don't know whether that's mine or yours or where it is. So it's, it's, uh, which bit do I send the loving kindness towards anyway? And in reality, uh, this is is very difficult to to feel uh, at ease with or accomplish with from the self-view. Certainly, it's not a bad thing to to attempt to from self view better than other things, but it, it doesn't complete itself in self view. But it can be uh, it can be tapped into as a as a root intention, one of the most powerful root intentions, um, or even potentials of jitta, its ability to suffuse and radiate and experience things as innately worthy, alive, vital, precious um, to be sensitive to. Hmm. So let's have some time of some uh, bit of practice. I'll try to frame something up that may be helpful and of course as you are other beings your subjectivities and karma it may not
but that's my intention. <coughs> so as always, the fundamental first step is always to establish ground. There's ground, nothing can, can be accomplished or move usefully unless there's ground. If it's not from ground, we're just working with ideas. Most of those ideas will be coming from the self-view position. So coming into ground. Yeah, and so ground initially could be just the sense of the pressure beneath my beneath my body that's holding me. And as we get into that quality, it feels the sense of safe, uh, given, not negotiated for, not bought, not owned, but given, freely given, ground freely given, stability, support, presence, presence freely given, and very happy or glad or at ease with allowing whatever's here for you to occupy it. That's fine. In a way, that already is a brief statement of this fundamental intentionality. Whatever's here for you, no resistance, no aversion, no need to apologize. That's fine. Where does that voice, where does that intention come from? Where does that sense come from? Could it even be here for me with all that I am? Or I am am bringing what's coming in with me? Ground. And as you get the drift of that, through the embodiment, and extend that, and extend into this sense of the upright, which is a little more exposed around this, this space, which carries its own potentials, physical level, that's coolness or warmth. Could be a sensory level, could be sounds, um, fragrances. And being in my the ground, occupying and it's saying, oh that's fine. You're here. You don't have to go out to it, or you don't have to shut it off. It's just because this is your ground. You're, you have this, and this space around you is not depriving you of your ground. 
There's a relationship here between the ground and space, we call it balance. also be called dispassion. Can also be called a sort of a skillful non-engagement, sensitive to but not making anything out of. See if we can attune to that relational sense. the ground and feel a sense of spaciousness, that's a, the degree to which there is a diminution of pressure. And in that phenomenon phenomena can happen but they pass, they move through because there's enough space for them to move through. because we hold the balance, we're not holding the space, we're inviting space, being held by space, but not holding it, not grasping it. Space is what it is, ground is what it is.
the kind of uh, affirmation or intention that highlights or potentizes that relational sense non-abuse, non-violence, non-grasping non-resistance Well, norms there. We can also say this is benevolent. This is loving. Forgiving. Enjoying. Feeling safe. Being touched without being stabbed or manipulated. Without any pressure. Sounds, sights, phenomena gathering round we all be well So, checking the requirement to, at all times, to maintain access to ground. Actually, these inclinations very much um, potentize the heart area and emotional uh, intelligence. So, it can be quite a suffusive experience on an emotional level and this feels uh, helpful, blessed. We dwell in that and allow it to move through our inner space. It's blessing, forgiving, enjoying, sympathizing. It feels overwhelming too much. And just kind of steer yourself down towards the lower body of abdomen and feeling the ground beneath. And this is your this is supporting. It's less emotionally um, charging more embodied to when it tends towards that end of the spectrum.
this is the basic basis of the model and one can feel as comfortable with that we can apply it more specifically wherever it seems um, to land or be called towards aspects of one's self physical psychological past, future, karma may this be released from anguish or guilt or regret or fear it's not a demand it's just a a blessing or towards others beings near or far, alive or dead and so on it's a holistic invitation invitation and uh, can be just the sounds of the birds and of course the aspects of our apparent self you know, you know grumpiness or the restlessness or the chitteriness as if that is another bird be met with non-resistance and aversion and not losing ground or space. spending time in that mode certainly with sati mindfulness we can bear particular peace that seems to call for that kind of relationship to be established to my to that fearfulness or that irritability Maybe that shifts and changes 
it may do that, it may change, it may shift. We can't ask for that. So the invitation and the welcoming into experienced space.
Naturally, that's the suggestion that uh, as we open our eyes and come into sense consciousness again, that that background intention remains accessible, (coughs) doesn't necessarily always get formulated in terms of actions on the sense consciousness level, but in terms of citta, we at least referring to that, that sense if we've been out of touch at all and noticing when it's present and when it's absent yeah. when it's absent, a sense of alienation or uncertainty or inadequacy or comparison and how is she with me, am I the same as is he better than, who does she think she is, me, them, am I, what are they thinking about me? And, well, not even verbal, but a considerable degree, can be quite a considerable degree of, of kind of tentative and, and kind of like searching for negotiation or orientation within that to feel comfortable, you know. And behind that, that intention which could make us comfortable is, you know, just, Space, welcome, take it steady. Remember, respect that balance above all, that ground above all, and be aware when one is losing it or when you sense that occurring in another being. And then we want to return to our ground with spaciousness. And, and the beauty of, of Chitta is that that actually does empathize, it does radiate, we don't have to make it radiate. So the quality of intersubjectivity, which is kind of impersonal, strangely enough, is intersubjectivity is definitely a very real experience that's off the list in our vocabulary, normal vocabulary. This is why we get confused. Uh, this kind of uh, say cool doesn't have to be cool but spacious lovingness again rare rarely expressed rarely configured rarely verbalized we tend to see heated or intensive uh, configurations that have a certain amount of passion in them so dispassion sounds like a complete turn off and actually, <laughs> you know, in this sense, it's the requirement of the balance, you know, that we don't, you know, lead our impact. Uh, and we're even dispassionate towards you know, our own intentions, a sense of just holding the balance and negotiating contact. <coughs> so that is a very loving uh, quality it's deeply respectful, deeply concerned for another's welfare, recognizing how unconsciously in the intersubjective experience we all karmically attuned, we can unfortunately trigger experiences in others that we don't intend because of the empathic or mutual sensitivity of the chitta. 
and its sensitivity is such it's sensitive to its own karmic fluxes and flows and sensitive to impact from the sensory world and the two are mingled and sometimes you don't know which is which or they mingle that is we see something that gives me happiness we think the happiness is in the thing and the happiness is in the meeting of those and if that meeting suddenly becomes greedy then the happiness changes or defensive so that's the requirement of this rather chilling term viraga uh, non non flaring, non non surging of dispassion, viraga. Burbling away, you know. Just happened across, you know, the way one does, fortuitously. Um, something, um, and again, these kind of phrases occur so many times in the Sutta, uh, and, and of course, the Buddha putting it in very striking and powerful language, partly because, of course, he has to ramp up the volume. Uh, because some of these these experiences are not really that clearly delineated for people or their problematic nature so there's a story it starts with a story of this um, this, again, this beautiful cosmic battle between the, the asuras who are the, you know, the jealous deities and the devas who are the kind of playful happy benevolent deities so that's a nice kind of fairy we call it a fairy story it leads us in oh this is interesting oh look at this you know fairies and angels fighting with each other so the Buddha's obviously leading people in with something they're kind of listening oh and eventually the devas capture the king of the of the asuras who's called Vepachiti and they bind him up so he was bound by his forelimbs and his neck and he was deprived of the five cords of divine sensual pleasure. So there he was trapped. It's a kind of long story, I won't go through all of it. So subtle because was the bondage of Vipachiti. But even subtler than that is the bondage of Mara. <laughs> so here comes the, the teaching. In conceiving, one is bound by Mara. In not conceiving, one is freed from the evil one. Bhikkhus, I am is a conceiving. I am this is a conceiving. I shall be is a conceiving. I shall not be is a conceiving. I shall consist of form is a conceiving. I shall be formless is a conceiving. I shall be percipient is a conceiving. 
I shall be non-percipient is a conceiving. I shall be neither percipient nor non-percipient is a conceiving. It's covering. <laughs> conceiving is a disease. Conceiving is a tumor. Conceiving is a dart. Therefore, because you should train yourselves, we will deal well with a mind devoid of conceiving. And he goes through a few others formulations, but always I am is a perturbation, I am is a palpitation, I am is a proliferation, I am is an involvement with conceit, and the all the same refrain occurs through all through those various so I am is a conceiving, a perturbation, a palpitation, a proliferation, an involvement with conceit. Um, so this is this is the the self view, the ahankara, the my making. I am is a conceiving. So I am is not an entity. I am is not a either a immaterial entity or a non-material entity or a material entity I am is a conceiving so it's a construction of mind isn't it on some level uh, a perturbation a disturbance a palpitation a source of fluttering a fluttering quality a proliferation that which tends to complicate and amplify everything an involvement with conceit conceit here Again, English language, Pali problems, but basically conceit means, always brings it with it a comparative sense. I am this, she is that. I am better than, she is better than. I am more wise than, he is more strong than. We are the same as all this comparative sense is called the conceit. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily pry out because it mean, can mean I am stupider than that's a conceit so it's this forming of a separative entity and this expression a separative entity that is defining itself in a comparative mode so it's a mode of comparison is an activity that occurs that stimulates and generates this I am so it's not that I have a conceit I am a conceited person, but the very experience of I am, one of its its formulations is the act of comparing. Notice the act of comparing. Notice the act of comparing. How is that? Is that pleasant, peaceful, harmonious? or a source of distress? One guess. <laughs> huh? Is it? I don't know, you know, as a statement. Now you might say, you know, I have more, you have more hair than I do. That's true. Um, but you probably don't take that as a personal, um, particularly personal, um, attributes in the same way so this is really a sense of what is really causing oneself to fall I suppose it's possible if you're in a a hairdresser's salon or something or uh, 
well, some kind of contest of that. We might make a conceit out of how, who has the most hair or what colour it is. So this, this, this conceiving has got this intrinsic sense of there's more or less worth or value here than there or, or there than here. So this, this essential chitta quality uh, which I've said is basically has a sense of innate worth it means it's not a particular thing that I'm worthy because I am hard working no no it, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't predicate anything it's just it's innate worth innate value innate f- with no attribute perhaps the word worthy doesn't even work anymore on that one because we always assume it must be because of something let's say the feeling of worth the deficit isn't there there's no deficit there's no debt there's no thing to pay off there's obligation that's what it means now that quality which is an innate chitta quality now is that leaks through consciousness into the disparate world, into the world of separations, where is this worth experience going to happen? Well, it must be uh, on her. She's worthwhile because she's so hard-working and much more clever than I am. <laughs> or maybe it lands on me. You know, when it comes down to it, let's face it, you know, I, mean, I don't like to say it, but basically I've got it together and, you know, <laughs> clearly, you know, you're still starting and so forth. I've got what it takes and, you know, you, maybe you'll get as good as I am in a few years' time. Maybe, but I'll have moved on by then anyway. So, that work is definitely labelled out and, and attributed and it, it's predicated with I've got either the brains or the beauty or the strength or the adoration or the mojo of some kind or another. The, therefore, there's the beginning of division, of superiority, of inferiority, of conflict, of fear, of intimidation, of aggression and despair. I am is a perturbation uh, a dart <laughs> a tumour <laughs> because it, it's, when it's, when it's that's how it's come around that worth sense in Jitta has transposed through uncertainty through ignorance onto a disparate world where it has to occupy either an object or a subject and then when it tries to say well we're both worthwhile it does a kind of weird juggling act of saying, yeah, you're just as good as me. You sure? How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just being nice, you know. It's, I don't know. Because then I've got to say, well, you're, you're because of this and this and this. I've got to find some details. And then, so we have, then you say, yeah, but that detail really doesn't count. You know. Just because I can fry eggs, it's not as good as your ability to sing, you know, something. If you're hungry, frying eggs is much better than being able to sing. So, all that. And uh, the involvement with conceit, the I am. A proliferation. Now, proliferation, papancha. Very, very interesting word. 
again, it's a bit of a struggle. So it's seen it's translated in several ways, proliferation, sometimes um, complication, uh, reification, projection. We touched into it yesterday, we looked into the Honeyball Sutta, where it talked about proliferating tendencies. And the phrase there is um, sanya papancha sanya sankara. So proliferating tendencies are born of perception. So essentially there's a, an impression, and that impression, say, of, well, let's go back to those names again, beauty, strength, intelligence, impression of, wow, she's so strong, he's, he, she's so beautiful. That's a perception. And then the proliferation that the, the whirlpool starts turning, the, the vortex starts turning. Oh, I wish I could be as, or how did she ever get that way? Maybe if I went on a diet, or maybe if I worked out, or maybe if I this or the other, or oh, she's so beautiful, maybe I could find a way to get in touch with her and, have, you know, and enjoy her presence and so forth. So the, the wheels start spinning, don't they? And then what do I do to get her attention? Maybe I can tie myself up look cool, or offer a bunch of flowers, or skip around, or, you know, the kind of stuff you do as a guy. <laughs> Pretending that it just happens to be happening, nothing to do with that. Because I want to look cool as well. So this is all, so this gets a lot of work. In that one. And then she's doing what she's doing as well, completely on another track altogether, not picking up signals or misinterpreting my signals. I don't know that. So I got feeling, is she, she liking this or is she feeling I'm being gross? Or she looked at that other guy, well, I don't know, what's he doing? Has he got it or is she looking? So a lot of, lot of <laughs> papancha sanya sankara. And then, wow, if we did get together, maybe we could do this or the other proliferation of the future. And no, no, no contact. <laughs> Real contact between, you know, subjectively existing beings has just been, you know, the, the proliferation around perceptions and impressions. So proliferation, and one interesting, the word papancha, and pa is an intensifying word. It's an intensifier. It means it really, fully, completely yeah, has that quality. And puncture is five. And nobody really understands why this word thoroughly fiving. <laughs> it could be just a colloquialism. It could be whatever. But uh, who knows, really? Oh, it could be a, something to do. But that, that is the root of it. Now, it could be something... And one, one kind of playful possibility is it, the five refers to the external senses, which are the five, and there's the internal sense, the mind. So what was purely a mental configuration becomes an external one. That is, all my perceptions and ideas are transposed externally onto that being. I really think that, that person, that formation out there which I can see and perhaps touch as a, as a sensory entity has become occupied with my 
proliferation. My mental stuff has filled that outline with qualities that it may or may not have. So essentially it's the leakage of worth and, and all kinds of other uh, distortions of innate chitta qualities such as beauty, groundedness, strength, um, spaciousness. You know, these could all be seen as ways in which jitta could be experienced and they're being leaked out and transposed. And leakage, this leakage is called asawa. It literally means to flow or to flood or to flow out. Sometimes it can be seen as flowing in, I don't know which way you divide, because it tends to also flood the chitta with its own flowing, so it floods back into desire, craving, fear, agitation, so we get floods out and floods in. Asawa, it's also synonymous with another word, oga, which literally means flood. So the two are different ways of referring to the same experience. We get the sense of something rushes and washes and swishes around and floods and swamps everything. Asawa, and these are considered to be almost the root obstructive forms of jitta affected by ignorance. And papancha is every specific um, uh, formulation around that. Make something into a three-dimensional object, reifies it. It can even be reifies it still within the mind, as this person in my mind is still haunting me. Yeah. And I see him and I, and I remember and it's made in there like a caricature in my chitta. There were lumps there, or aspects of myself are in there. You know, like little formulated caricatures of me dwelling in here somewhere. You know, I touch certain buttons, they come up. So all this formulation, proliferation, that proliferation tendency gives rise to or amplifies or confirms or strengthens the I am configuration, gives it more uh, detail. A palpitation is also similarly associated with um, this palpitation is a certain kind of irregular pulsing quality to it that also that irregularity is a sign of loss of balance and steadiness that fluctuating, palpitating experience when there's loss of inner, inner ground where, where it becomes steady and stable and serene that palpitating effect that also means the jitta is not able to stabilise so around that instability comes the I am and the I am feeling bit rocky, disoriented, and therefore clonk, or hold on to something that get me steady, yeah. which is generally transposed as, as something external. When I say external, that doesn't mean visually external, it could be a belief system, a dogma that will hold me steady, uh, an ideology that will hold me steady, uh, something you know, outside of this deficit experience that stands there and I can lean on it. Mm. An ideology, a dogma, 
um, obviously physical objects um, we can use other people for that purpose yeah. because of the palpitation the perturbation this same sort of disturbed experience and conceiving conceiving seemingly innocuous experience manyati manya manya is to know anya through the mano faculty the mano faculty um, intellect perhaps but it's not necessarily intellectual it's the conceiving <coughs> verbal formulating organs apparatus of the of the mind so just as the eye formulates visual objects and the ear formulates sound out of vibrations that impact it and eye formulates visual objects out of light that impacts it so Manu formulates thoughts out of perceptions and, and feelings that touch it, formulates them in conceptuals through which of course we operate and um, the average person will take those conceptualizations as the bedrock of their reality. Um, this is Janice, this is Herbert, this is Friday, this is, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. What's that? flat it's um, seemingly stable (coughs) it's flat so it's empty Friday is a what? it's a signifier but of course it doesn't give us any indication of the real felt experience the directly subjective experience It, it makes things into Conceive mental objects that then can be moved around like I'll go to see Herbert on Friday there's a Herbert, there's a Friday there's a me slotted together yeah? and in reality, really subjective reality of what's going on what yeah? and when a day arises that we call Friday what's, what's the Friday about it yeah? So, but that's the reality of logistics and organisation through which, by and large, the average person will be operating, even though they know, kind of half know, yeah. But yet, to know directly is a lot more difficult because, gee, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, you know, because jitta doesn't know uh, in that sense, doesn't form objects it only experiences now, perception, feeling, intentions so this cultivation is really one aspect of it, is, is being able to acknowledge what jitta is and it's what it can't do it can't work in terms of time because it doesn't know what that is that's not its language that's not its medium it can work in terms of karma 
it can work in terms of intentionality it can work in terms of being affected it can translate effects uh, into responses that's good at that so all we can say is I wish so and so well I aim for their well-being or and then from there we maybe specify maybe I'll go and see so and so or give them a phone call or write a letter or bear that in mind next time I see him something you know so so you know we're looking really at orienting not around the conceptual world although we have to negotiate through that but orienting really around the intentional plane and wellspring of chitta and how can this manifest how can this be carried through as purely and cleanly as possible and for this conceiving gets in the way definitely because if I conceive of a strategy of how I should be so that I can be then I come in a bit clunky and a bit preformed. if I conceive of what I think Herbert or Janice needs I've already come in I've already prefigured them I haven't really honoured their subjectivity you know, I've decided who they are and what they need and this is what I'm going to do about it and then that's already three steps further than one should really begin with contact you know, real contact it's, it's essentially how are you what's happening now um, and here am I here's this and let's see how that moves from there I mean, this is very kind of primitive or, or stripped down because it's a lot more fine tuning and it goes on that. Okay. But notice also much more, perhaps poignantly, um, that the you know how when one is actually um, you know sitting still on one's own, then this conceiving system is still operating, still forming an I am. Well, there's nobody to compare it with, really. So it, it formulates some people to compare itself with. So we can sit there thinking, well, I'm not an arahant, or I'm not a this, or a, you know, we, we sort of invent people <laughs> to, 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 to in that conceiving mode. And we invent ourselves. I'm less than, I wish I could be comparative sense or an ownership sense yeah. so this is the conceiving experience it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of energy and it generates strategies but it very much limits sensitive relational sense in, in the immediate sense of the word. The reorientation is a, is a tricky process and a process that's definitely fraught with a lot of wobbles and wavers and, uh, you know, uh, and disorientation, definitely. I tell you the truth. <laughs> I tell you the truth. <laughs> but <laughs> there is ground. 
and it more or less, you know, it doesn't mean nobody else counts or exists, but the priority eventually, because of that wobbling way, I've got to find some ground that really, you know, because uh, uh, really, fundamentally, of course, we can be supportive to each other, and that's great if we can offer that and be that to each other. But really, what happens, I, you know, most beneficially, is if the other helps you to find your ground. Helps you, to, that's of course what Buddha or a good teacher helps you do. Say, oh, come lean on me forever. <laughs> No, that, that isn't going to do it, because even if you could, it still wouldn't be enough. It still wouldn't be adequate. You think, oh, I'm being a nuisance. I'm being a burden. Um, I'm getting in the way. Uh, and so eventually, proliferation would take over and you'd make a problem out of it, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, you know, so the, say this is certainly not a... From one to the other, you've got a kind of modern find your way through this, this territory of disorientation. And that's kind of what meditation is about. You know, in, within, all, within all this uncertainty and wobbling and wavering, yeah, there's the ground. Which in meditation is sometimes called the knowing, in a mental sense or somatic sense, this embodiment. Uh, say ground, although we may generally refer to it in terms of something almost semi-physical because that in a way is the most least deceitful body cannot deceive you so it's very assured uh, and we may in fact with the mental ground we may substitute that for dogma belief of some kind or another yeah. the mental ground is exactly what refuge means you know and that's why it's such a term, refuge, this is a safe place, this is a stable place. Um, you know, so clearly we say, put it in refuge, well there's nobody here. Yes. There's not a person there. But we say awakening, touching the ground is one of the fundamental Buddha qualities. You know, this is Buddha through the hands, touch the ground, that's called the repelling Mara Mudra. That's the basic awakening Mudra, we touch ground. And so Buddha, in a way, one aspect of it is that which encourages you and that which, through which you do touch your ground and it's the experience of touching ground. You just, oh, within all this whirling chaos of stuff and possibilities and seductions and fears, there's this. And it starts off on a bodily level because the body cannot lie it cannot be convinced by dogma and it comes up to something more you might say emotively tuned in one feels a sense of safety, coolness, absence of pressure some sense of a quiet assurance and from there as we look around all this stuff is actually impermanent changeable, fluctuating not myself not some core quality, but peripheral in the field, in the space. There's a, there's a worry, there's a doubt, there's an aggression experience. As long as I hold this ground, that could be experienced as, as they say, you know, so often, anicca, dukkha, anatta. That is relative, impermanent, inconstant, subject to change. Uh, 
not completed, not satisfying, not a real sure thing, anatta, not a self, not another, not somebody else, and not an attribute of myself, not belonging to myself, not something that has to be separated from myself, but just the word, here the word self does not pertain. So, you know, though that's a long word, not a lot of, of talking, around a kind of realization which is comes from ground and space as felt experiences. So this is kind of what we're constantly being trying to orient back to, this reorientation process in, into into that core those core qualities. And yeah, you know, takes a while. But then how long is a while? The Buddha said if you get this in fifty years that's short, that's a finger snap. He says, you know how long you've been, how long this jitter's been working out karma? I tell you, eons. <laughs> 50 years is just, wow, so fast. <laughs> so essentially don't, don't give it a time because jitter doesn't work in terms of time. Time just means you're either impatient or panicky or frustrated. That's what it means. Jitter works in terms of it's not complete yet. There's still the karmic obstacle has to be met. The uncertainty still feels convincing. There's still aspects of this that seem to be myself. What is the relationship? It'll bring around dispassion, detachment, cessation, relinquishment. <laughs> From that particular hold. You know? And then these words, which seem so chilling, can seem like well of course that just is so beautiful to feel so free and so open and so non-positioned and so unneeded to be defended that is just so beautiful but when you language it don't sound like much fun to me (laughs) (laughs) so I'll just read you another piece because it's just something that I really is all right if I kind of babble on a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sort of indulging myself here. So again, you know, these suttas often go through same seemingly re- repeated, partly because they were they weren't written down. So, you know, the difference in the written word is you can go back and look at it again. The spoken word is, so the Buddha says the same thing over and over and over and over again to get it stamped on the memory. But I'll try to abbreviate it for you. He goes through. Um, So the, 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 the crux of it is having seen what can be seen, the Tathagata, which is the name the Buddha applied to his realization body, um, hardly, hardly ever used the word Buddha, like never, almost never, 
to himself or to his realization body the Tathagata which does not conceive the seen having seen what can be seen does not conceive the seen does not conceive an unseen does not conceive what can be seen does not conceive one who sees so in the experience of, of seeing he doesn't conceive that as an object he just knows there's a see, see. doesn't um, conceive the unseen in other words I see her like this but I imagine she's like that you know, you know, doesn't conceive the unseen doesn't infer other than what is directly present so this is very useful, you know, because somebody says, well, did you hear about so-and-so, so-and-so, she's such a this, that, and the other. And you, go, oh, great. and you meet her, and she's kind of, to me, she's rather different. And I just say, okay, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm looking at now. This other stuff, I'm, I'm aware of that, but I'm dealing with what's standing here. So I'm not coming in with, oh, she's like this, I'm going to deal with that, but this is this. And one doesn't bring in this proliferation of the conceived. Doesn't conceive what can be seen. You know? Doesn't conceive one who sees the subject. Doesn't conceive the seer. Notice in the terms of the sense basis, it first sounds kind of slightly interesting, but then he comes into the mental base, and then of course it becomes a lot more intensely experienced doesn't conceive the cognized having cognized what can be cognized doesn't conceive the cognized doesn't formulate a strategy, a map a prediction, a blueprint a final statement about the cognized just notices this is the cognized form at this moment doesn't conceive this is ultimate truth this is the way everybody else should think doesn't doesn't do that just this is the cognized doesn't conceive the cognized doesn't reify into a set of finite dogmas, beliefs, thoughts um, statements, diktats anything like that doesn't conceive the uncognized doesn't conceive what can be cognized having cognized this what next what does this lead to doesn't do that uh, is it searching for the next piece this is particularly a, a mental habit because we're often trained exactly to do that here's the information where does it go to um, in, here's the information where it goes add the you know, trajectories having heard this what do you think so much so, and the speed of that, particularly in sort of business or perhaps even academia or something, the faster you can do that, the more successful. To the point when you don't even really get the cognize. You get a little bit of it and you immediately jump to a conclusion. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you've got the conclusion already before you even cognize. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the map and you start to just take the bits of the cognize that will fit that particular map. Mm. 
this is say, say dogmatism or, or uh, as it manifests we've already named you as an intruder or an insurgent or a communist or a Buddhist or an atheist we've already got that and now we just take those bits that can fit that and add them up and say proves it Right, he did this, he did that. So it, the, the, the conceived predates the actual cognized. Yeah. My mind keeps getting stumped at this. How do, how do we work together to address suffering on a large scale? How, how do we even know about it without conceptual framework? If you, you, you feel moved by it, if you're touched by it, mm-hmm. if you're affected by it, you find ground, you open the space, you relate to it empathically, sensitively as it manifests, and from there you form relative, tentative, you have intentions and you start to form relative tentative operational procedures with a sense of let's just keep flexing this you know so we so we stay online with what's happening yeah? even though the it that we're relating to is coming via conceptual yeah, yeah. so that's exactly the problem well exactly the conundrum because in fact the it may not even be the, the real it but so we have to go quite openly and spaciously and say, well, it seems like this, this could, well, ah, maybe that's actually what's going on. And that, in fact, may change as my intention, as the intentionality shifts and changes. So it's always that sense of negotiating contact is so, as an ongoing, not like an opener, but an ongoing thing. Right? And really, you see, our, our fundamental intelligence as human beings are really significant intelligence as human beings that made us successful with our ability to operate as a group. Otherwise, we would not have survived. So before there were letters, alphabets, if, even before iPads and iPhones, we survived <laughs> because of some sense in which you, me, same tribe, let's go out. You, me, our kids, let's look after them. You know, that's how we survive, because we couldn't have done it. These things couldn't have done it without that fundamental sense of empathy and fellow feeling. You know, that's, that's our big thing. That we have that to a... I mean, most, I think all mammals have that, to a degree, some of them a lot more than we, than we assume. In fact, dolphins talk to each other, Animals will look after each other when they're sick. They, they, they're not just objects on each other's screens, they definitely empathise, and we have that to an enormous degree. Perhaps more refined, more, more, even more. That was our trump card, really. Um, because we could also produce or manifest concepts and hold them, such as, let's go out tomorrow and hunt. And that was meaningful. Um, and yet, you know, at the same time, the conceptual is held lightly because tomorrow there might be a thunderstorm, which case we have to wait. You know? uh, and unfortunately, the case can be that with the tremendous power that conceiving 
can bring is we get intoxicated with it to the point when it's no longer let's go out and hunt tomorrow when it's raining or we or we feel healthy it means we have to go out tomorrow and hunt even if we're sick and tired and fed up and it's pouring down with rain <laughs> that means we're good <laughs> well because because <laughs> the concept has almost become autonomous from our felt realities and that's that's a social problem social difficulty <clears throat> so because the Buddha the Tathagata does, does not do that thus bhikkhus being ever stable ever stable among things seen, heard, sensed and cognized the Tathagata is a stable one and I say there is no stable one more excellent or sublime than that stable one so this is what he's referring to this is ground <laughs> You know, and the Buddha has unshakable ground. So here is stability. This is the fundamental orientation. He says this is the orientation whereby all this stuff you don't get, you don't lose, you don't get thrown out because of this non-conceiving. You know? Therefore, the Tathagata is stable. The word Tathagata can mean literally means. Tata means thus, and gata can mean gone, gone to suchness, or even come, arrived at suchness, or it can be truly arrived or truly come. The words are lovely and, and, and flexible and somewhat mysterious. It can mean truth also, arrived at the truth of things. Truth not as an idea, but truth as a presence of this is actual, this is real, this doesn't shift and change, this is undeceived. And this is really chitta, presence. So truth is satcha, chitta, awareness, ananda, it's satchitananda, it's happy, it's true, and it's present awareness. So this is the Tathagata. And amongst those who are self-constrained, so interestingly enough, the Buddha regards self as a constraint, as a, as a like this repetiti, as something that the person is bound up with. Amongst those who are self-constrained, the stable one would not posit as categorically true or false anything seen, heard or sensed, clung to and considered truth by others. So he would not categorically posit as true or false anything seen, heard, sensed, clung to and considered truth by others. He wouldn't refute or affirm. Since they have already seen this dart to which people cling and adhere when they say, I know, I see, it is just so, that the targeters cling to nothing. That is, because they've understood how this conceiving is a dart it gives orientation but the orientation is very much only I am I see, I know, this is true this is right, because they see that seeming um, attainment for beings actually as a dart, a calamity, a disaster because of this they 
cling to nothing. Anything? <laughs> Sounds, but then of course because a stable one, the ground doesn't doesn't need that clinging process. It cannot be clumped. And um, footnote to that uh, I am you know, very interestingly enough I found when I was walking in, in India that uh, they may have very words for like possess and own, they don't have a word have so I remember one place I was kind of came across in, in the wandering and this gentleman came up to me and says I am house I am house I invite you, I am house. You're not a house. <laughs> <laughs> this English wasn't that good. You can see what his intention was. I've got a house, come and stay in my place. But it wasn't word have. So in, in, in uh, that language, which should be clearly you know, derived from the same root, the sense of am as a word means has a certain appropriation quality to it. In other words, it is to me. Uh, it is of mine so that is built in to the word am so when I say I am something it means I appropriate it uh, I, I belong to it or I, I am um, there's, there's all sorts of words we use by, with, from, of, to all that is built in to the word am so this is where it gets confusing for people because in the English language we see I am can sort of hover without an object conceptually. I am. I am. I am. I really am. I am. I'm, 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 I am me. I am me. I am. And it, as a concept it doesn't need something to hook on to. But in the Pali thing it always has to have something to hook on to because it contains the nuance I have. So when I say I am a body, it kind of means I have a body or I'm in response, or I am with a body or by a body, that's my identity, is like that. And so this is where the I am always implies some quality of appropriation, ownership, um, def- location, I am within this body, um, something like that. It always, it, that's always built into the very word. Yeah. Now, subjective citta, uh, if you want to try and frame it in a, in a linguistic term, we might say it's the I without the M. It's the I without the M. So, there definitely is a sense of presence, uh, aware. Presence, aware, very much location in terms of a here-ness, but of course it's not located in Devon or in Glasgow or in Russia or in wherever. No, it's located in here-ness. So it is locational, but the eye has no sensory location. 
the jitta does not manifest in the sensory domain or if it does it has to operate through vijnana through consciousness which kind of transmutes its messages or transfers its message into the sensory domain so it says because there is this I experience or something we can use the word I to convey as that leaks through asava into the sensory experiences oh I, I am I am this body because this is the thing that seems to be most constantly around or I have this habit which is, seems to be pretty constantly around I am this habit or I am this voice or I am this quality or and then it, you know, and so on or these are my things you know, as that sense extends into the sensory world and without it I feel kind of disoriented because that has been lent upon not only is it leaked out with all its value and worth and beauty and charm and presence it's leaked out onto the sensory domain so that if I disconnect from that whoa I feel all at sea because that's where it's leaked out to and the Buddha said this this I am tendency is is then a very dangerous thing (laughs) it's causing leakage or supporting leakage onto a domain which cannot provide stability cannot provide true innate worth cannot provide I mean you name it um, fulfillment because that isn't where it is and yet to say when you switch that oh well I mean there isn't any worth there isn't any fulfillment, there isn't any stability. No, not really. Comes into ground. And uh, Buddha's approach is kind of pragmatic, he's saying, well, if you want stability, make develop stability of goodwill. If you want start off with stability of good heart, start off with stability of ethics, get stable in that. This is your. This is be your entry into. You can move back into the domain of jitta through those through those senses through those channels. You can move into it through the you, through the avenue of ethics, through the avenue of loving kindness and compassion, through the avenue of mutual respect. This will do the opposite of leaking out. This will start to turn it turn it back, and you'll find there is innate worth and value and a growing sense of stability that occurs through reorientation around those modes. This we might say conventional or the um, opening to liberation and then, you know, so and that proceeds and deepens into a, a further um, freedom from intention when the intention has arrived and completed then the intention itself can be laid at rest the ground has been stabilised within there is nothing more to do nothing more to be done it is released The last one, 
was the Angutra Book of the Fours, Sutta 24. This is the one about um, conceiving. And the prior one. was the Sanyuta hmm. I'll check it out for you okay so um, it's time for a meal